Al-Bayan Radio presents the following special presentation from Masjid Al-Azhar, Bilmore. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Rasulillah. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man ihtada bihuda. Amma ba'd. My dearly respected brothers and sisters, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Today, bi-ithnillahi ta'ala, will be the first day of our two-day course, which runs over two Sundays, being today and next Sunday, bi-ithnillahi ta'ala. And it is a two-day course on the topic of fasting and the month of Ramadan. Since the month of Ramadan is approaching us, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to reach the blessed month and to accept our actions throughout it. My dear brothers, As-Siyam, as we know, is one of the pillars of Islam. And since it is one of the pillars of Islam, it is crucial that the Muslim learns the ahkam, the rulings, and the fiqh, the jurisprudence, regarding fasting. Because anything that's considered to be a pillar we must, as Muslims, know how to perfect it. It's very important. And that's why we must perfect the shahada, first and foremost, of La ilaha illallah, Muhammadun Rasulullah. And we must perfect the salah. And we must perfect the zakat. And we must perfect the sawm and the hajj. Because these are what Allah Azza wa Jal has placed as the pillars of the deen. And a pillar means that the religion relies on it and it stands upon it. And without the pillar, if the pillar is broken, if the foundation is broken, then the building collapses. So it's very important that we give time and effort to learning the principles of fasting. And that's the purpose of our course today. To refresh our memory and to go through some of the rulings which are important to us to understand so that hopefully we can perform our fasting in a correct manner. And remember, my brothers and sisters, and I always like to mention this at the beginning of these two-day courses, three-day courses, one-week courses, or whatever it is, that it's never enough. The book of Siyam is a huge book in fiqh. So if we give you anything, it's probably considered to be the keys only. But it's your duty as a Muslim and as a student of knowledge 
to increase your knowledge on the topic. So we'll begin, inshallah, with first and foremost the definition of fasting. And the notes have been provided to the brothers and the sisters. And the word as-siyam in the Arabic language or linguistically means to abstain or to withhold from something. This is what the word siyam in the lugha, in the Arabic language, means. Siyam in Arabic means to withhold and to abstain. How do we know this? Because in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the story of Maryam, as-siddiqah, the mother of Isa alayhi salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in her story that she said, Inni nadartu lirrahmani sawma. Or it was said to her to say this. Inni nadartu lirrahmani sawma. Indeed, I have vowed to the Rahman, which is Allah Azza wa Jal, Sawm. And here the word Sawm means abstention. And what it means in the story of Maryam is silence. She made a vow to be quiet, silent, not to speak. And the word used is Sawm. So in the Arabic language, Sawm means to abstain, whether it's from speaking, whether it's from eating, whether it's from drinking, or whatever else. In the Arabic language, the word Sawm means to abstain or to withhold. And remember, there is always a connection between the Arabic definition and the Islamic definition. So if in Arabic, Sawm means to withhold, or to abstain, we can see the connection between the Arabic definition and the Islamic one. Because the Islamic definition of Psalm here, he says it is to abstain. See, it's connected. The Arabic and the Islamic definition is connected. It is to abstain from eating, drinking, sexual intercourse, and you can add to it, and anything that breaks the fast, to abstain from eating, drinking, sexual intercourse, and anything that breaks the fast from dawn, fajr, until sunset, maghrib. That's the definition of siyam in Islam. The Islamic definition is this, to abstain, from eating, drinking, sexual intercourse, from this period to that period, from Fajr, which is dawn, until sunset, which is Maghrib. Is this understood? Fasting, my dear brothers and sisters, as we mentioned, it is a pillar of Islam, and there is no doubt there is high rewards for the one who fasts for Allah Azza wa Jal. And that's why fasting has its virtues. 
from the virtues of fasting is what is mentioned in the following hadith. The first hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari, Abu Hurairah radiallahu ta'ala anhu reported that the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that Allah azza wa jal said, so here, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is saying that Allah azza wa jal said, this type of hadith is called what, my brothers? Hadith Qudsi. Very good. The hadith Qudsi <coughs> is the hadith that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam narrates from Allah. So it's Allah azza wa jal saying this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Every act of Bani Adam, every act of the son of Adam is for him, meaning it belongs to him. Every action that you do belongs to you. He said, except for fasting. Except for fasting, which is exclusively for me, and I will reward him for it. <clears throat> this is the first part of the hadith. Every action of the son of Adam is for him except for fasting. Allah says, it is for me and I will reward him for it. So if we stop at this part of the hadith, what does this mean? Every action of the son of Adam is for him except for fasting. It is for me, I will reward him for it. We know as Muslims, every action that you do is for Allah. Every worship that you do is for Allah. So what does this hadith mean? When Allah Azza wa Jal is saying, all of your action is for you, except for fasting, it is for me and I will reward for it. The scholars of Islam have given interpretations for what this hadith means. From the most common interpretations is that when Allah Azza wa Jal says all of the actions of the son of Adam are for him, what this means is all of your actions have a limit in terms of reward. In terms of reward. We know that when you do an action in Islam, you are rewarded for it, and that, and that action can be multiplied up to 700. Correct? As the hadith mentions. So this is what all of your actions are for you means. Except siyam. Except siyam means Allah has not placed a limit on its reward. And that's what Allah said. Except for fasting, it is for me. I will reward him for it. And what that means, my brothers and sisters, is that there is no limit on the reward for fasting. That's from the greatest virtues of Siyam. And it shows that Allah Azza wa Jal loves this action so much that He left its reward unlimited. And He will give you as much as He wants for it. So, this is enough of an encouragement for us to fast. Not only Ramadan, but even voluntary fasting. Since its reward is so great. Then, 
He continues in the hadith and he says fasting is a shield. Fasting is a shield, a barrier. A barrier between what? You and the fire of hell. A barrier between you and Allah Azza wa Jal's punishment. So it is crucial that the Muslim builds a shield and a barrier between him and Allah's anger. He then said, when any one of you is fasting, observing fast, he should neither indulge in obscene language, nor should he raise his voice. And if anyone reviles him or tries to quarrel, argue with him, he should say, inni sa'im. So you should protect your fast. People want to fight, argue with you or whatever else. This is what you should say to them. I am fasting. I am not going to lose the reward of my siyam for you. He then said, by him in whose hand the soul of Muhammad is. The breath of the one observing fast soul is sweeter or more beloved to Allah than the fragrance of musk. The smell that comes out of the fasting person's mouth, yeah, it is more beloved to Allah than the smell of musk. Because that smell in the fasting person's mouth, it only came because of the worship of Allah. No other reason. Allah Azza wa Jal loves it. He said the one who fasts has two joys, two moments of happiness. He feels pleasure when he breaks his fast. That's one joy. You're thirsty, you're hungry at the end of the day. And then when it's time to break your fast, you feel happy. So that's one joy. He said, and the second is when he meets his Rabb. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. What an amazing hadith that teaches us the great rewards and virtues of fasting. We also have the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri. Radiyallahu ta'ala anhu wa ardah. Who said that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said He who observes fast For a day In the way of Allah Azza wa Jal Then Allah would remove his face from the hellfire To the extent of 70 years distance Another great reward for fasting My dear brothers Imagine when the people are standing on the Day of Judgment and they can see the hellfire. This hellfire, it is not a matter taken lightly. It is Allah Azza wa Jal's punishment. We ask Allah to protect us from it. But the hellfire, my dear brothers, it is severe. And no one can punish like Allah. Allah Azza wa Jal said, Inna batasha rabbika lashadeed. Verily the punishment of your Lord is severe. And we know there is a lot of ahadith and ayat 
that speak about how severe hellfire is. And it's enough that An-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he spoke about his uncle Abu Talib, he said he experiences the smallest punishment in hellfire, which is to wear sandals made of the fire of hell, which caused the brains to boil. That is the smallest and the lightest of punishment. So imagine the worst and the worst and the worst of it. So when the people are standing and they can see the hellfire, because hellfire will be dragged, it will be brought by the malaika, the angels, as Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَجِيءَ يَوْمَ إِذِمْ And hellfire will be brought on that day. And it will be dragged on 70,000 chains. And on each chain is 70,000 angels. It's a huge fire which Allah has prepared for his punishment. Imagine seeing it, just the sight of it. You would want nothing more than to be far away. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Fasting, yarhamukallah. Fasting one day for Allah distances you from that fire 70 years. How great is the virtue of fasting? So imagine when you fast two days and three days and the month of Ramadan and your six days of Shawwal and your Mondays and Thursdays and your white days or you fast the fast of Dawood alayhi salam, which is one day on, one day off. How much distance are you creating between yourself and the fire of hell? The fasting has its great rewards, my dear brothers. And fasting is of two types. There's obligatory fasting and there's voluntary fasting. And the obligatory fast is of three types. There's three types of obligatory fasting. The first is fasting Ramadan. That's the first type of obligatory fasting. The second type is fasting the kafarat, which are the penalties. Some penalties require you to fast. Like the person who breaks an oath. Yeah? A person who breaks an oath has to feed ten poor people. If they can't, then they must fast three days. And so forth. And there's a lot of penalties which require fasting. And the third type of obligatory fast is another. When someone makes an oath or a vow to fast. Like someone who says, by Allah, if Allah cures my sick relative, I will fast a day in his path. Then if Allah cures his sick, it becomes obligatory on him to fast. So these are three types of obligatory fasting. And then you have the voluntary fasts. Like Mondays and Thursdays, the six days of Shawwal after Ramadan, and so forth. And now we begin with the fasting of Ramadan, which is 
the most important to us today, since Ramadan is approaching. Firstly, the ruling of fasting Ramadan. What is the ruling of fasting Ramadan? He says, fasting Ramadan is wajib, fard, obligatory, since it is one of the pillars of Islam. Allah Azza wa Jal says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, kutiba alaykum usiyam, kama kutiba ala alladheena min qablikum la'allakum tattaqoon. Allah Azza wa Jal says, O oh, you who have believed, decreed upon you is fasting. Meaning fasting has been made obligatory upon you, just as it was decreed upon those before you, so that you may become righteous. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ So that you may gain taqwa. This verse here, there's a number of benefits we gain from it. First of all, it is proof to show fasting is obligatory. Fasting has been decreed or prescribed upon you. That shows that fasting is obligatory, my brothers and sisters. Secondly, it teaches us that fasting was also obligated on the previous nations. And that's why the Jews and the Christians have their fast, even though it differs to ours. But they were also obligated to fast in the past. And then he also teaches us, and this is the most important part, the purpose of fasting. Why did Allah obligate fasting? Here. So that you may gain taqwa, righteousness. There's no other reason, or this is the primary reason for fasting. We hear a lot of brothers and sisters say, that Allah legislated fasting so that we can feel what the poor feel. Have you heard that? We hear that a lot. Even though this might have some truth to it, but this is not the main reason of fasting. Fasting has been prescribed so that you can gain taqwa, so that you can get closer to Allah. So if your fasting is not increasing you in taqwa, there's deficiency in your fasting. And that's why fasting is the greatest, from the greatest of tools of getting closer to Allah. And the question is, what is taqwa? Fasting has been prescribed so that you can gain taqwa. Okay, what is taqwa? What's this taqwa I need to gain? The scholars give a definition of taqwa. They say taqwa is to create a barrier. Taqwa is to create a barrier between yourself and Allah's punishment. That's taqwa. To create a barrier between yourself and Allah's punishment. Okay, how do I create this barrier? Do I physically get a barrier and put it up? No. To create a barrier between yourself and Allah's punishment by obeying Him. 
This is the definition of taqwa. It is when you are cautious in your life not to disobey Allah. That's taqwa. When you are cautious in your life not to disobey Allah, this is taqwa. And that's why some of the salaf, when they were asked what is taqwa, they would answer by saying to the one who asks that imagine a field, a garden which is filled with thorns. Imagine a garden filled with thorns and you are walking barefoot in that garden. How would you tread? And the person would respond very cautiously. You'll be cautious not to step on the thorns. So the Salaf would say that is taqwa. So it is to be cautious, God conscious, not to disobey Him. That's taqwa. That's why fasting has been prescribed. To increase us in this virtue. So when Ramadan comes, my dear brothers and sisters, this should be your one and main objective. That through this fasting for Allah, I plan on increasing my taqwa. I plan on getting closer to Allah. I plan on abstaining from sin. That's why Allah legislated the fasting. We also have the hadith, of Ibn Umar, Abdullah Ibn Umar, radiyallahu ta'ala anhuma, which shows the ruling of fasting. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Buniya al-Islamu ala khams. Islam is based or built on the following five principles. To testify that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is Allah's messenger. Number two, to offer the salah dutifully and perfectly. Number three, to pay zakat, which is the obligatory charity. Number four, to perform hajj, which is the pilgrimage to Mecca. And number five, to observe fast during the month of Ramadan. So here... Fasting is a pillar, and that's how we know it is wajib, it is fard upon the Muslim to fast. Earlier we spoke about the virtue of fasting in general, just fasting any day. Now we take the virtues of the month of Ramadan in particular, because the month of Ramadan has its virtues. In the hadith of Abu Hurairah, found in Bukhari, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the Prophet said, He who fasts or observes fasting during the month of Ramadan, out of faith, iman, while seeking its reward from Allah, will have his past sins forgiven. Allahu Akbar. What a great virtue for the month of Ramadan. Mansama Ramadan. Whoever fasts Ramadan, but with two conditions, my brothers. Two conditions. Imanan wahtisaba. Whoever fasts Ramadan out of faith, meaning not for any other reason. He's doing it out of Iman. 
in Allah. And hoping for the reward from Allah. Those are the two conditions. If you fast Ramadan in that way, you're fasting out of faith, and you're fasting hoping for the reward from Allah. His past sins will be forgiven. What a huge reward. The past sins are forgiven. And the scholars have mentioned this is obviously all sins except the major ones. The major sins require repentance. But as for all the minor sins, they are forgiven. As for all the minor sins, they are forgiven. Also in the hadith of Abu Hurairah, Radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, There has come to you the month of Ramadan, a blessed month, which Allah azza wa jal has enjoined you to fast. The Prophet is telling the Sahaba, the month of Ramadan has approached you, a blessed month which Allah has enjoined you to fast. He said, in it the gates of the heavens are open. And what this means is Allah's mercy, there's a direct link between you and Allah's rahmah. The gates of the heavens are open. Allah's mercy, your dua, everything. The gates of the heavens are open. And the gates of hellfire are closed. And this is from Allah's mercy. And every devil is chained up. And maybe this is slightly an incorrect translation. And the devils are chained up. And we say that because some of the scholars have mentioned, this is not referring to all the shayateen, but rather the heads. The big devils are locked up in the month of Ramadan. As for the smaller ones, they could still be roaming around. As the people of knowledge such as Ibn Hajar rahimahullah and others have mentioned. But generally the shayateen are locked up in the month of Ramadan. He then said in it, meaning in Ramadan, Allah has a night, which is Laylatul Qadr, which is better than a thousand months in worship. Whoever is deprived of its goodness is indeed deprived. Whoever gets deprived of receiving the blessing and the rewards of Laylatul Qadr, they have indeed been deprived. The Prophet ﷺ is saying. So this is the virtue or from the virtues of the month of Ramadan. And we know the month of Ramadan is the month of Rahmah. It's the month of blessing. It's the month of the Qur'an. It's when the Qur'an was revealed to Muhammad sallallahu So there is no doubt that it is one of the greatest months. The month of Ramadan. We now move on, my brothers and sisters, to the warning. The warning against the one who does not fast Ramadan when they must. Because as we know, there are some people who cannot fast. But this is the warning to the one who must fast, but they refuse to fast. There's a huge warning. 
In the hadith of Abu Umama, Al-Bahili, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, I heard the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, say, while I was asleep, two men came to me and took me by the arms. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw this ru'ya. And we know that the dreams of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are true. The Prophet sallallahu only dreamt truth. That's why the beginning of the revelation was what? It was the dream. That's how the wahi started with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Before the angel Jibreel alayhi salam came down with the Qur'an, the Prophet sallallahu used to see the truthful dream. So the dreams of Rasulullah sallallahu are haqq. And he's telling us that one night while I was asleep, two men came and took me by the arms. And those two men were angels. No doubt. They were from the malaika. And they showed him a number of different types of people. From them, he said, I saw people hanging from their hamstrings. So they were hanging upside down from their legs. He said, and the sides of their mouth were cut. The sides of their mouth were cut with blood pouring out of the mouth. So the Prophet ﷺ asked, who are these people? And it was said to me, they are the ones who break their fast before its time. Meaning, they don't make the days of Ramadan. Or they might be fasting, but they break their fast intentionally early for no reason. This is a warning from not fasting the month of Ramadan when the person must fast. And this punishment, my dear brothers and sisters, that is not the punishment in hellfire. This is the punishment in the Barzakh life. This is what is considered to be the punishment of the grave. If the punishment of the grave is this severe, then what's waiting for them in the next life in hellfire? So it is not permissible for the Muslim who must fast not to fast. It is from the worst of sins. And we must teach the Muslims the severity. We teach our children who must fast and our families and our friends and whatever else the importance of fasting. We now move on to the next topic. A topic of controversy. Controversy today. How is the start of the month determined? The reality is, my dear brothers and sisters, it's not complicated. But, alhamdulillah, it's us, the people that complicate things sometimes. The deen is very easy. And I'm letting you know from now, we are not going to get into the, the great debate or what they call the moon wars. No. Before I start, I tell you, 
you do what you believe to be the haqq. This is what you do. Whether you go by local, whether you go by regional, whether you go by global, whether you go by majority or whatever else, this does not concern me. You go by what you believe to be the truth. But we have here a number of hadith that determine how the month of Ramadan begins. And in reality, it is determined in two ways. He says the start of the month is determined either by one trustworthy Muslim citing the moon or by completing the month of Sha'ban 30 days. It's that simple. That's how the month of Ramadan begins. Okay? Because we know that the month in Islam, every month in Islam is either 29 or 30 days. There's no 31 days and there's no 28 days in Islam. Our months are 29 or 30. So the month before Ramadan, which is our month, our month now, is Sha'ban. Okay? Ramadan is determined either on the 29th night of Sha'ban, if they sight the moon, that means Ramadan entered. If the moon is not sighted, then Sha'ban is completed 30 days, and we know that a month cannot go beyond 30 days, which means the following day after that will be Ramadan. That's how the month of Ramadan is determined. We have the hadith here of Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who narrated, the people were trying to sight the new moon of Ramadan, meaning on the 29th night of Sha'ban, the Sahaba were out looking for the moon to see if it came out to determine whether tomorrow was Ramadan or not. He said, and when I, meaning Abdullah ibn Umar, when I reported to the Messenger wasallam that I had seen it, he fasted and commanded the people to fast. This is how easy and pure and beautiful Islam is. All it required was one trustworthy Muslim. And because of that hadith, we apply that. If one trustworthy Muslim says he sighted the moon, this is sufficient in Islam. This is sufficient in Islam. We also have the hadith of Abu Hurairah, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, observe fast on sighting it. Fast when you sight the new moon, and break fast when you sight the new moon, meaning Eid. Stop fasting, Ramadan, when you sight the new moon, he said, but if the sky is cloudy for you, then complete the number of 30. Okay? So on the 29th of Sha'ban, if we cannot see the moon because of the clouds, Islamically, what do we do? We fast 30 days. We continue fasting. Uh, we continue Sha'ban to be 30 days and then Ramadan will be the following day. And we do the same thing with the end of Ramadan. 
If the 29th night of Ramadan, it is cloudy, we fast the 30th. Now, a question that comes up here that the Sheikh has put, if the moon of Shawwal is covered, Shawwal meaning the month after Ramadan. So let's say we are fasting Ramadan and we're on the last day, the 29th of Ramadan. We're looking for the moon to see if tomorrow is Eid. But the moon of Shawwal is covered. So on the 29th, we haven't seen the moon. So we wake up and we're fasting the 30th, correct? So the 29th of Ramadan, we did not sight the moon. So we woke up the next day and we're fasting the 30th of Ramadan. But then after we started fasting, we find out that the moon is out. What do we do? Look at the hadith. It was narrated that Umayr ibn Anas ibn Malik said, my paternal uncles among the Ansar who were among the Sahaba of Rasulullah told me, the new crescent of Shawwal was covered with clouds, meaning it was there on the 29th, but we couldn't see it. So we fasted the next day. They began fasting on the 30th. Then some riders came at the end of the day. Riders meaning what? Travelers. They came to Medina. And they testified to the Prophet ﷺ that they had seen the new moon the night before. And when did they come? The end of the day. So the Muslims are close to breaking their fast now. It's the end of the day. So the Prophet ﷺ commanded them to break their fast and to go out and offer their Eid prayer the following morning. So even if you are fasting on the 30th and you fasted most of the day, if you learn that the moon was sighted, then you must break your fast. Because now you're fasting on Eid and you're not allowed. But the Prophet ﷺ, what did he do? He didn't pray the Eid prayer. He ordered them to break the fast, but then he prayed the Eid prayer the following morning. Okay? That is regarding if the new moon on Shawwal is covered. And then it's determined that yes, it came out. We as Muslims must break our fast, no matter how long the day has been. Is that understood? Fine. Are there any questions? Up until now, my brothers, the sisters, their questions, if there are any, they'll be answered towards the end. Khalid asking about the, the, the smell of musk from the fasting person's mouth. If you wake up in the morning while you're fasting and brush your teeth. So the mas'ala is, can you brush your teeth while fasting or not? The correct opinion is yes, you can. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he used to use the siwak at all times, including when he was fasting. And the brushing of the teeth takes the same ruling. 
with toothpaste. It's permissible because even the siwak has a fragrance. It's not like toothpaste, but it has a fragrance. So the correct opinion, and that's the fatwa of our ulama, is that it is permissible to brush the teeth while fasting, and Allah knows best. طيب. We now move on, my brothers and sisters, to the pillars of fasting, the arkan of siyam. And the pillars, my brothers and sisters, are the most important thing regarding fasting. Why? Because without the pillars, the fasting is invalid. Okay? Because when it comes to worship, even like salah, you have pillars, you have sunnah, you have wajib and so forth. The pillars means the worship is based upon it. So without the pillars, the action is invalid. Understood? So what are the pillars of fasting? The first pillar of fasting, and this actually goes for every worship, not just fasting, is intention. Intention is the first pillar of every action, including fasting. And the proof for that is the verse, the general verse in the Quran, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ They were not commanded except to worship Allah, being sincere to Him in religion. So intention is the first pillar of every action. And it is the pillar that makes your action accepted by Allah. So if the intention is not there, Allah will not accept your action. So intention is the first and if not the most important of the pillars. Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu also narrated in the hadith that verily actions are based on intention. Actions are based on intentions and every person shall be rewarded for what he intended. So your actions are based on your niyyah, your intention. The Sheikh says, and the intention must be made before Fajr. And here, if you read the books of fiqh for the scholars, you will find them talking about this matter. The intention of fasting. When must it be done? They say it must be done before Fajr. Now the question is, which is the commonly asked question, is one intention at the beginning of the month enough or must you renew the intention every night before Fajr? The scholars differed. It's a matter of conflict between the ulama. Some of the scholars said, if you intend on fasting the entire month, one intention from the beginning of the month is enough. Okay? This is what some of the ulama said. So for example, it's the night before Ramadan, and I plan, inshallah, on fasting all of Ramadan starting tomorrow. If I make intention that night that I'm going to fast the whole month, that's enough. I've made my intention before the Fajr, 
but I'm fasting the whole month. Those scholars also said that if you happen to miss a day of fasting throughout the month, then you should make the niyyah again. You make the intention again for the rest of the month. But if you end up fasting the entire month, that one intention before the month of Ramadan is enough. Is that understood? So these scholars say one intention before the month is enough. As long as it's done before the Fajr. The second opinion is that the intention must be made before Fajr every night of Ramadan. And the reason why they differed is based on the understanding of the hadith. Look, at the bottom of page 6, in the hadith, whoever does not intend fasting before Fajr, then there is no fasting for him. Whoever does not intend fasting before Fajr, there is no fasting for him, meaning his fasting will not be accepted. So the first scholar said, yes, the intention must be before Fajr, but one night before the month is enough. The other scholar said, no, what this hadith means is Fajr every day. So that's why they differed. They differed because of their understanding of this hadith. So I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I personally am on the opinion of the second, that the intention should be renewed every night before the Fajr. Because this, as some of the people of knowledge mention, seems to be what is more apparent of the hadith. He who does not intend the fast before Fajr, they said this implies every Fajr. Every Fajr. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. And if a person chose to take the opinion that it's one intention before the entire month, there's no harm. We cannot say that they are doing anything incorrect. That is an opinion of the ulama. But I personally am on the other opinion. Wallahu a'lam. This is regarding fasting Ramadan or any obligatory fast. Any obligatory fast, my brothers and sisters, the intention must be made before Fajr. The Sheikh says, as for voluntary fasting, when you are fasting Sunnah, like Mondays and Thursdays, or the six days of Shawwal after Ramadan, or one day on, one day off, or the white days, or whatever else, when you are fasting the Sunnah fast, the matter is much more lenient. If a person does not intend to fast before Fajr, it is still permissible for them to intend the fast during the day, if they have not eaten or drank. How do we get this? From the hadith of Aisha here, radiallahu ta'ala anha. Aisha, the mother of the believers, radiallahu anha, said, the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came to me one day and he asked, do you have anything to eat? He wanted to eat at home during the day. So she said, no, we don't have anything to eat. 
So then he said, then I am fasting. That shows the Prophet ﷺ did not make the intention the night before. He only intended it right there and then. And it's a voluntary fast. But any obligatory fast, so your Ramadan fast, days that you make up for Ramadan, a lot of sisters ask this question, they have days owing. And they wake up after Fajr and they say, I want to make up one of my days. We say if you didn't intend the night before, you can't. Every obligatory fast must be intended before Fajr. But any sunnah fast, you can intend it during the day. There's no harm. If you have not eaten or drank. Is this understood? طيب. The next mas'ala is abstaining from everything, or sorry, the second pillar. So the first pillar is intention. The second pillar of fasting is to abstain from everything that breaks the fast from Fajr until Maghrib. These are the two conditions. Intention and number one, to avoid everything that breaks the fast from Fajr until Maghrib. We derive this from the verse here that speaks about intimacy between the husband and the wife in Ramadan. Allah Azza wa Jal says, فَالْآنَ بَاشِرُوهُنَّ وَابْتَغُوا مَا كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَكُلُوا وَاشْرَبُوا حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَكُمُ الْخَيْطُ الْأَبْيَضُ مِنَ الْخَيْطِ الْأَسْوَدِ مِنَ الْفَجْرِ ثُمَّ أَتِمُّ الصِّيَامَ إِلَى اللَّيْلِ Allah Azza wa Jal says, So now, meaning when you break your fast, you can have relations with them, meaning your wives, and seek that which Allah has decreed for you. And then Allah says, and eat and drink, meaning in the night. Eat and drink until the white thread of Fajr becomes distinct to you from the black thread of the night. So eat and drink until the Fajr. Then complete fast until night, sunset. Because the layl is sunset. So that shows that we must avoid everything that breaks the fast from dawn until sunset. Those are the two pillars of fasting. Intention and avoiding everything that breaks the fast from Fajr until sunset. We now take the mas'ala, the issue or the matter of who is fasting Ramadan obligatory on. Who must fast Ramadan, my brothers and sisters? The Sheikh says fasting Ramadan is obligatory upon every Muslim. That's the first condition. Every Muslim who is sane, mentally sane, that's the second condition, and reached the age of puberty, that's the third condition, and is a resident. That's the fourth. And the fifth condition related to the females, she must be pure from menses 
and postnatal bleeding. This is who fasting is obligatory on. So if we look at this, based on this definition, we can see that there are certain people who are excluded from fasting. It's obligatory on every Muslim because the fasting of the kafir is not accepted. It's obligatory on every Muslim who is sane. So that shows us the insane, the mentally insane, fasting is not obligatory on them and for that matter, all acts of worship are not obligatory on them because the pen's been lifted from him as we will see in the hadith. Reached puberty. So it must be an adult. And the signs of puberty, my dear brothers and sisters, very important to know so that you know if the fasting is obligatory yet or not. Many of us have children and we don't know if they have to be fasting or not. So the question is, what are the signs of puberty? The signs of puberty are three that are shared between the male and the female. And the female has a fourth one for herself. So what are the signs of puberty? The first one is wet dreams. Once the person has wet dreams, this is an indication of puberty. The second is the growth of pubic hair. Once pubic hair appears, this is a sign of puberty. And the third is the age of 15. That's if none of the other signs showed yet. Okay? Because some people, they might not have wet dreams and they might not have pubic hair. But once they reach the age of 15, that's it. This is... This is when puberty has reached. But if any one of those signs come out first, then the child has reached puberty. And fasting, praying, everything that's obligatory becomes obligatory on them. Those three signs are shared between the male and the female. The fourth sign of the female is her menses. Once she menstruates, she's reached puberty. Thus she must fast and pray and whatever else. Before puberty, fasting is not obligatory. It is not obligatory. So every Muslim who is sane and has reached puberty, he then says, and is a resident. Why does he say that? Because the traveller, fasting is not obligatory on him while travelling. Fasting is not obligatory on him while traveling and we're going to be discussing this inshallah. And also the female must be free from menses and postnatal bleeding because the lady in her menstruation or after birth bleeding does not fast. She is not allowed to fast. And then she makes up for her days after Ramadan. The evidence... 
that fasting is not obligatory upon the insane and the child before puberty. Okay, what's the proof? That the child before puberty and the insane, the mentally insane, what's the proof they don't have to fast? We have the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he said, the pen has been lifted from three people. And what does the pen has been lifted from three people? Meaning the pen that records deeds. So the pen of judgment has been lifted from three people. The sleeping until he wakes. So if you are sleeping, the pen is lifted. So if you happen to do something, even if it's a sin while you're sleeping, some people might sleepwalk. Yeah? If you commit a sin while sleeping, for argument's sake, it's not judged on you. The pen is lifted from the sleeping until he wakes. So once you wake up, you're, you're held accountable. And the child until he reaches puberty. So the child, the pen is lifted, but once he reaches puberty, the pen of judgment applies. We have to teach our children this. That's why it's important for parents to know when their children reach puberty. So that they can teach them the seriousness of the matter now. That, hey, you weren't accountable before, but now the angels start writing. Now you're accountable. So it's important. And the insane until he gains sanity. So the insane is not judged because he's not in his right, right state of mind. He cannot differentiate between right and wrong. But once he gains sanity, if he gains sanity, then yes, he's held accountable for his actions. So that hadith is proof that the insane and the child do not have to fast. Excellent. Proclaiming, proclaiming the intention. We said the intention is to be done before the Fajr. Does that mean we speak the intention loudly? Absolutely not. Speaking the intention loudly, like saying, oh, I'm going to fast tomorrow or whatever else, is an innovation. The place of the intention for every act of worship is in the heart. You make the intention in your heart. And it's not something complicated, my dear brothers and sisters. Like some brothers and some sisters, mashallah, they wake up before Fajr. They make suhoor. They have suhoor. They wait for the Fajr. They pray the Fajr, then they sleep. Then they wake up the next day and they call the Sheikh. Sheikh, I don't know if I made intention yesterday. Did you wake up for suhoor? Yes. Did you eat suhoor? Yes. That's your intention. We do not complicate things. The intention is you knowing that you yourself are going to fast tomorrow. You don't have to say anything out loud. This is not from Islam. Uttering the intention is an innovation. So keep things nice and simple. The next mas'ala we take, my brothers and sisters, is the ruling of children fasting. We just said that children do not have to fast. But should we encourage the children to fast? 
absolutely. Look, he says, even though we previously mentioned that fasting is not obligatory upon the child, we already established that. Fasting is not obligatory on the child, it is still important that the parents and the guardians of the child get the child used to fasting from a young age so that the child learns to grow in the worship of Allah. It's the same thing with prayer. The prayer is legislated on the child before they reach puberty, from the age of seven. Yeah? Why? So that we get them used to worshipping Allah before puberty hits. And the same thing applies with fasting. How do we know that? We have the hadith in Bukhari here. Ar-Rubayya' bint Mu'awwidh radiyallahu anha narrated that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent a messenger to the village of the Ansar in the morning of the day of Ashura which is the 10th day of Muharram to announce whoever has eaten something should not eat but complete the fast and whoever is observing the fast should complete it. Why did the Prophet sallallahu send someone to the Ansar on the day of Ashura to make an announcement, whoever's eating, stop eating and fast. And whoever's fasting, continue fasting. Because there was a time in Islam where fasting, Ashura, was obligatory. That was before the legislation of Ramadan. Okay? Before Ramadan became obligatory, fasting, Ashura, became obligatory. But once Ramadan became obligatory, fasting, Ashura, became a sunnah. Understood? So the Prophet ﷺ sent them to make the announcement. She then said, Since then we used to fast on Ashura that day regularly, and we also used to make our young boys fast. So that was the way of the Sahaba. They will make their children fast. Look what she said. We used to make toys of wool. They used to make toys for the children made from wool for the boys and for the girls. Naham. And if any one of them cried, meaning from hunger or thirst, we, he was given those toys until it was time to break the fast. In other words, what? They used to occupy them. So this shows that it is from the sunnah and the practice of the sahaba to get the children before puberty fasting. Someone might ask, Sheikh, when should we start? There's no time limit. I can't tell you when to start. You as a parent, as a brother, as a guardian, whatever else, if you feel that the child huh, can start, let them start. Encourage them whenever they can. And encourage your children. If you find your child wanting to fast, don't make these excuses or no haram, they're too young or they'll find that hard. If they end up breaking their fast, alhamdulillah, let them break, it doesn't matter. But if you find enthusiasm and encouragement from the child to fast, take it. Use it. Tell them, yeah, fast, no problem. You want to fast, fast. Because a lot of parents, sometimes they stop the child from fasting. No. If the child is encouraged, then you should be happy. Go with that encouragement.
Understood? طيب. The next mas'ala we take, my brothers and sisters, is those who it is permissible for them to break their fast, the ones who are allowed to break their fast, and it is obligatory upon them to pay the fidya. The fidya is the payment that you pay for missing days of fasting. There are certain people, pay attention, there are certain people who are allowed to break their fast and rather than them making up their days afterwards, they are allowed to pay instead. Is that understood? Because we know usually if a person misses a day of Ramadan, that they have to make up the day afterwards. They have to fast afterwards. But there are some people who can't fast ever. Or they are allowed to pay rather than making up the day. This is who we're talking about here. The ones who can break their fast and they pay for the days that they miss. The Sheikh says, it is permissible for the old man and the old woman who the old man who can no longer fast and the old woman who can no longer fast and the sick but the sick who there is no hope for his recovery that's the condition because you might be sick but then you're getting better that's not you this is talking about the one who has terminal illness or illness that stops them from fasting and there's no hope in that illness getting better that's how the scholars describe it of course Allah can cure anyone yeah we're not denying that but we know there are some illnesses that stay with a person usually for the majority of their life all of their life unless Allah wills otherwise these people are exempted from fasting like the one with hard diabetes for example that have to take insulin and whatever they can't fast generally for the rest of their life so these type of people the old man who's reached that age where they can't fast anymore they're too weak the old lady and the sick who there's no hope for recovery he said all of them it is permissible for them to break their fast if fasting is too difficult for them that's the condition so if they find fasting too hard they're allowed to break their fast throughout the entire year and what that means is they don't have to try to fast every day so they can have the intention from the beginning i'm not gonna fast because i can't okay where do we get this from the hadith of salama ibn akwa radiallahu anhu who narrated we during the lifetime of rasulullah in one month of ramadan observed fast according to our liking he said he who wished to fast lasted and he who wished to break 
broker and fed a needy person as an expiation. Ignore that 1544. Till this verse was revealed. He who witnesses among you the month of Ramadan, he should observe fast during it. So initially, those who wanted to fast, fasted. Those who didn't, didn't, and would pay for the days that they don't fast until Allah revealed the verse, if you witness the month fast, then everyone had to fast. It became obligatory on everyone. The Sheikh says, the elderly who is not capable of fasting or making up the days, they pay the fidya. This is what they do. And the fidya means feeding one poor person for each day. So the ones who cannot fast, my brothers and sisters, like someone who's very old or sick and there's no hope in recovery, we tell them it's okay, you can't fast. You don't have to try to fast and you don't have to try to make it up later. Okay, what do they do? They pay for each day they miss. What do they pay? They feed one poor person for each day. And in this day and age, it's been made very easy for us. Even here in Australia, people like this, they simply go through the recognized charity associations and they can do it on their behalf. And it could be anywhere. I'm speaking on behalf of Australia, yani from what we know from the different organizations. It could be anywhere between 5 to $10 per day. So for example, let's say an organization can feed one poor person for you for $5 a day. You times that by 30 days and that's how much you pay. Understood? That's for the sick person who there's no hope for recovery or the one who's reached the old age or, yeah, the old age from the men and the women. So Allah Azza wa Jal obligated fasting only on the healthy and breaking it, he made it permissible for the ill and also the traveller. But the traveller does not pay. The traveller must make up their days. The paying is only for the elderly or for the sick who there is no hope for recovery. The next mas'ala is related to the previous one and this is a commonly asked question especially from our sisters and it's related to the pregnant and the breastfeeding mothers. Does the pregnant and the breastfeeding mothers have to fast and if they don't fast what must they do? What must they do. He says, if the pregnant or the breastfeeding mothers are not capable of fasting and fee for themselves or their child, this is what it comes down to. A lady is pregnant or she is breastfeeding and she has a fee of fasting, either for herself, meaning she'll get weak, she'll get sick if she fasts, 
or for her child, meaning she fears she might not produce enough milk for her child or whatever else. So if the pregnant lady or the breastfeeding lady fears for herself or for the child that she's breastfeeding or the child in her stomach, that it won't get enough nutrients and whatever else, it is permissible for them to break their fast. The breastfeeding and the pregnant lady, it is permissible for them to break their fast. Now the question is, what must she do afterwards? That's where there's a conflict between the scholars. Some of the scholars, my dear brothers and sisters, and I will tell you, it is the opinion of the majority of scholars. The majority of scholars say, the pregnant and the breastfeeding lady, if they broke their fast, they must make up for their fast when they can. They must make up for it. That's the opinion of the majority. The second opinion, which is adopted by other scholars, is that if the breastfeeding or pregnant lady breaks her fast, then she is not required to make up for them afterwards and she is able to pay just like the elderly and the sick who there is no hope in their recovery. That's the second opinion. And the sheikh here says, and they pay the fidya and do not have to make up their days. Okay. This second opinion, the one that says that the breastfeeding or pregnant lady does not have to make up her days and she can pay for her days. What is their proof? Because everyone, a lot of people ask this question. What's the opinion? People find this to be a strange opinion. Because, as I said, it is not the opinion of the majority. The majority say she must make them up. The, the, the evidence for the second opinion are these two narrations with us here. The first one, the great companion, Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu ta'ala anhuma said, and remember, this is the statement of a companion. He said, if the pregnant lady fears for herself or the breastfeeding for her child during the month of Ramadan, they may break their fast and feed a poor person for each day and they do not make up for the days they missed. Who's Abdullah ibn Abbas? It's a companion. A great companion. This was his opinion. We also have the second. Again, Abdullah ibn Abbas, but this time also Abdullah ibn Umar. Radiyallahu ta'ala anhuma, who said the pregnant and the breastfeeding breaks her fast and does not make up for them. Again, I am not here 
to tell our sisters what to do. What you believe to be the truth is what you follow. This is deen. I personally am on this opinion that it is permissible for the pregnant and the breastfeeding lady to pay for her days and if she pays, that's all she is required to do and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. So this is regarding the ones who can pay. The next mas'ala is those who it is permissible for them to break their fast, but it is obligatory upon them to make it up. So the ones who can, who can break their fast, but they can't pay, they must make up the day. Understood? This is the ones that must make up the days they miss. He says it is permissible for the ill who there is hope for his recovery. You might get sick in Ramadan where you can't fast, but inshallah you're going to get better. So if you break your fast out of sickness in Ramadan, but there's hope that you're going to get better, you must make up for that day after Ramadan. Understood? Like someone who gets a bad virus and they feel they can't fast or whatever else, this person, if they break their fast, they must make it up after Ramadan. They can't pay. They have to make it up. And also the traveller. If the traveller breaks their fast while travelling, they must make it up after Ramadan. And it is obligatory upon them to make up the days. Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَمَنْ كَانَ مَرِيضًا أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرٍ فَعِدَّةٌ مِّنْ أَيَّامٍ أُخَرٍ And whoever is ill or on a journey, then an equal number of other days. Meaning, make up the days after. You missed one day, you make up one day. You missed two days, you make up two days. Equal number. He says here, the correct opinion is that the one who genuinely fears getting sick, if someone has a genuine fear that they can get sick from fasting, he can break his fast. Just as though he's sick. If someone fears genuinely that they will get sick from fasting, that's enough for them to break their fast. And he must make up for his day. Also, the one who is overcome with extreme hunger or thirst and fears harm on himself or death on himself can break his fast even if he is healthy and not travelling. That's a general principle because you're not, you don't harm yourself. But this does not mean, my brothers and sisters, Wallah, I'm thirsty, I break my fast. Wallah, I'm hungry. People generally get thirsty and hungry. This is when a person genuinely fears harm or death on themselves, even if they're healthy and they're not sick. But they reach extreme hunger or thirst where if they continue, they're going to harm themselves or they're going to die. Of course, this person 
breaks their fast. And that's what's required. Islam is logic. Allah says, وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ And do not kill yourselves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. And also Allah azza wa jal says, وَمَا جَعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ حَرَجٍ And he has not placed upon you in the religion any difficulty. Okay? As for the concession for the traveler, there's a number of hadiths. Yes? Excellent. If you are sick in Ramadan, can you continue fasting? Absolutely. If you do not fear that you will harm yourself or death, you can continue fasting. And if you do, you have the ajr for it, inshallah. So what's the proof that the traveler can break their prayer? Uh, Afwan, break their fasting. There's a number of hadiths. We have the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu anhu who reported we went out on an expedition with Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on the 16th of Ramadan expedition means what? jihad they went out to fight battle in Ramadan he said some of us fasted and some of us broke our fast so they're travelling and they're going to jihad the sahaba said some of us were fasting and some of us broke fast. But neither, look, neither the observer of the fast found fault with the one who broke it, nor the breaker of the fast found fault with the one who observed. So the ones who were fasting didn't say, look at these blokes not fasting. And the ones who weren't fasting never said, look at these blokes that are fasting. That shows that it was permissible for both. So some were fasting and some weren't. Aisha radiallahu anha reported that Hamza ibn Amr al-Aslami asked Rasulullah about fasting on a journey and the Prophet said, fast if you like and break it if you like. Okay? Fast if you want and break if you want. That's what we say to people that are traveling. Sheikh, I'm traveling, do I have to fast? If you want to fast, fast. If you don't want to fast, you don't have to. But if you don't fast, you have to make it up after Ramadan. It's as simple as that. People say, yeah, but Sheikh, today traveling is different to back in the day. They were in the desert. They were on camels these days. Mashallah, we're in airplanes, cars, air conditioning. does not matter. Allah knew everything until the day of judgment. Allah does not say break your fast only if it's a struggle. He never said that. The traveller has the concession. The traveller has the concession. Excellent. What's considered travel? What's the distance of travel? The travel in Islam is generally what's considered to be travel. That you've left the resident. You've left your residence and your area. Some of the scholars... They put it down at 81 kilometers and above. So anything around the 81 kilometers and above is considered travel. Sheikh al-Albani rahimahullah, he said the truth is that the hadith indicates to the choice and not what is preferred. So Sheikh al-Albani rahimahullah is saying here you have the pure choice. 
Not one is preferred over the other. So is it better to fast or not? Shaykh al-Albani is saying there's no better. The hadith shows you have the choice. And Nabi Sallallahu said, fast if you wish, don't fast if you wish. There are other scholars who said it's better to fast in Ramadan, if you can, while traveling. They don't say you have to, they all agree you can break. But some of the scholars said, if you're able to fast while traveling, you should. But if it's hard, you should break. But they said, if you can, you should. Why? As Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah said, he said, because the virtue of fasting in Ramadan is better than fasting after Ramadan. Only that, that's all. For that reason. But you do as you please. You want to fast, fast. You don't want to fast, don't fast. But they all agree, if fasting in travel is going to be hard on you, it's better to break. He breaks his fast when he enters Maghrib, whether it's in the aeroplane or where he reaches his residence. No, where he is, not where he was. Because if that's the case, you could go longer. Because the Maghrib in Australia is before the Maghrib overseas if you're traveling overseas, for example. No, no, it's where you are. Okay. Next mas'ala regarding traveling. Can a person break their fast if they intended to fast, then travel during the day? So let's put this in a picture. It's Ramadan. I woke up in Ramadan. Say today's Ramadan for argument's sake. I woke up today and I'm fasting. It's Ramadan. I had no intention of traveling. And now at 10.30 in the morning, I'm fasting. Something came up and I'm traveling now. Can I break my fast? Absolutely. Because I'm now going to be a traveler. So just because I started fasting, it doesn't mean I have to finish the day. I can break my fast if I'm going to travel. In other words, I don't have to intend travel from the night before. Some people might intend travel while they're fasting. And that's okay. And you can break your fast during the day of Ramadan if you are traveling. He then says, it is permissible for them to break their fast. Look at the hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu. Muhammad ibn Ka'ab said, I went to Anas ibn Malik during Ramadan and he was about to travel. Anas ibn Malik, the companion, was about to travel. Meaning what? He's still at home. He has not traveled yet. A lot of people ask this question. Sheikh, I'm traveling. When can I break my fast? Can I or should I only break my fast when I'm traveling? Look. He said, I went to Anas ibn Malik and he was about to travel. His mount was prepared for him. His camel. He's getting ready to travel. He hasn't traveled yet. He's getting ready to travel. He said, and he put on his traveling clothes. Then he called for some food to eat. So when did Anas eat? Before he actually traveled. He's still at home. But he's made intention to travel. 
and he called for some food to eat. So Muhammad ibn Ka'ab asked Anas, the companion, he said, is that a sunnah? And Anas said, it's sunnah. In other words, if you are traveling, you're allowed to break your fast from your house. No problem. You don't have to actually be a traveler. You don't have to wait to cross the 80 kilometers or whatever else. It's not like the prayer. The prayer we know, you shorten and combine once you're a traveler. But the, the fasting, no. You're allowed to break your fast before you actually start your travel. As long as you've made the intention that I'm traveling that day. Is that understood? Alhamdulillah. Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah said, this hadith is evidence that it is permissible for the traveler to break his fast before leaving the place he intends to travel from. That's the dalil. And finally, my dear brothers and sisters, we take one more mas'ala today. He says it is not permissible for the menstruating lady and the postnatal bleeding woman to fast. A lady in her menses and a lady who's bleeding after giving birth in the 40 days, it is haram for them to fast and they must make up their days afterwards. They must make up their days afterwards. How do we know this? We have the hadith of Mu'adha radiallahu anha who reported that a woman asked Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha since Aisha was a scholar a lady asked her should one of us women complete the salah that we abandon during the period of menses. So uh, this lady came to Aisha to ask her about what? The salah that the women miss because of their menstruation. She's asking her, if we get our menses and we don't pray in our menstruation, should we make up for those prayers once we are clean? So Aisha said to her, are you a haruriya? A haruriya is another name for the khawarij, that deviant sect. The khawarij, one of their names is Haruriya because it's their area. It's the area where they came out from, Harura, which is in Iraq, or around, the, if my memory serves me correctly. Why did Aisha ask her that question? So this lady is asking, should we make up our missed prayers? Then Aisha asked her, are you from the Khawarij? Because the Khawarij used to say the menstruating lady must make up her prayers also. Not just her fasting. That shows you their extremism. So Aisha asked her, are you from the Haruriya? In one of the narrations, the lady said, I'm not. I'm only asking. So then Aisha radiallahu anha answered her to teach her. And she said, when any one of us during the time of Rasulullah was in her menses and we abandoned the salah, we were not required to make up for them or to complete them. So she answered her, in the time of Rasulullah we never made up our prayer. So no, you don't make up your prayers that you miss from menses, but the fasting you make up. The fasting you must make up that you miss from menstruation. 
طيب ان شاء الله uh, next sunday my dear brothers and sisters will be the same time 9 a.m. start and we will continue with the second section of this booklet باذنالله تعالى والله اعلم وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah